you guys, I am not ashamed to admit, I fucking love Ed Begley Jr. Right? He's great. He's great. Whenever he walks on screen, I immediately get happy and perk up. Something I good's about to happen. I saw him in real life. Where? Candle Cafe and the Upper East Side. You know, he's really like eco-friendly. Yeah, yeah. And vegan. Yeah. And it's a vegan restaurant. And I was really excited. He's a very tall, happy guy. Very positive. I don't know. He's a really good actor. And- he's great. Did you talk to him? No, no. I'm sure he would have been fine with it, but yeah, I would. You know, I like to leave. I had a really bad Michael Ian Black situation. Oh, I heard he's a kind of a prick, or, yeah. or at least not like a pro. If you're not, if you don't know him, he's not like a very approachable person. Well, it was just a weird situation. So you know, Evan and I went to college together. So it was actually at the Black Rock Starbucks in Connecticut. Yeah, and he was there, and I was I was really into the state and like Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, and. So I saw he was there and everyone, I was like, I don't usually get super excited about celebrities, but I was really excited. So I tried to like go over to talk to him. But right before I went over, some guy went over. He was like, hey, you're the guy from I Love the 80s. And he was so not into it. He was like angry. I'm sure. That this guy came up to him. So then I like tripped and knocked over all the mugs at Starbucks. And then while I'm picking them up, go, I, I, I'm a big fan. And he was just like, thanks. And then I walked out. I, well, you know what? That's neither a score against you nor a score against Mike Lee and Black. Right. I, I think that's, yeah. that sounds like the timing was off. Yeah, I think the timing was off. And because he probably just wanted to be left alone in this sure. random Starbucks in Connecticut. Yeah, but, but there's a way, there's a graceful way to do that that yeah. flatters a person. And then and then there's going up to someone and saying, hey, I love the 80s, <laughs> which is just like as obnoxious as can possibly be. Oh, yeah. And, and, and of the full body of like what he's done with his career. That's probably the, his I'm least sure that favorite. that's, yeah, that's what you least want yeah. to be associated with. No doubt. Yeah. I think he was on that show, Ed at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Justin, Justin Long was on that show and I think his dad lived around, like he was a professor at our college. Oh, cool. So I think that's why he was there, but nice. <laughs> he was like, yeah. So I don't usually go up to celebrities and say hi. I did it once. Uh, I normally, I also, I, I mean, I've seen a bunch of celebrities and I don't really care beyond like, Oh, I know that person. Um, like I, yeah. I, I, I'm not that kind of guy, but I went to the new Venus diner once, which is now closed on eighth uh, Avenue and 23rd street. And, uh, this is, nobody knows this guy, but John Shuck was sitting like two tables away from me. John Shuck was, you ever see the movie mash? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he plays painless pole, the <laughs> Polish dentist who, uh, uh, has that whole like storyline in it. Anyway. Uh, it's been was, a while. Yeah. yeah. He played Herman Munster in the remake of the Munsters in the late eighties. Oh, okay. Okay. He he's, has a, a recurring Klingon role in several Star Trek movies. Anyway, he was like part of Robert Altman's like uh, or revolving cast of people in the early seventies. And I'm a really big Robert Altman fan and I love John Chuck. And he has one of my favorite performances in any movie ever in this movie that nobody's ever seen called thieves like us, which is probably like his biggest role ever. He plays like a psychopathic bank robber in the 1920s. So I saw him at the table and I just like on a hunch was like, I bet people don't come up to him all the time. <laughs> and no one knows who he is. And, and I just want to like, I, I want to be close to Robert Altman's vibe somehow. So like I, I put my uh, dignity aside to go talk to him and he could not have been nicer. And Aww, after he finished like, his meal, he nice. came up to my table and was like, it was very nice to meet you, Lewis. And he remembered my name and shit. I was like, fucking A, man. <laughs> and that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain people who like don't get recognized a lot so they enjoy it yeah probably yeah. when when magnet first opened i was working the box office which at the time 
was when you first walk into the front door, just in that vestibule area, we had a card table with a literal box of money on it. So I was sitting there giving tickets at the card table and David Wayne walked in and ah. went, oh, cool, and took a bunch <laughs> of postcards and then walked out and has never come back ever again. He saw it as a local comedy venue. Never, never, never been never back. Returned. Never came back. I saw David Wayne on the subway once. Talk to him? No. Yeah. I, I again, I'm like traumatized. I, mean, I get very nervous. I did, like, I was in a, I saw what we do in the shadows and yeah. Jermaine Clement was doing like a talk back and then he was taking pictures after. And even in something, a situation like that, I almost didn't do it because I was so nervous. Uh, and then my friend made me do it what? and he touched the lower of my back. Really? <laughs> yeah. He's, um, I think just to take the picture. Yeah. Not but like was, in, he wasn't being like, no, no, no. He wasn't being fresh, yeah. but it was just funny because my husband <laughs> took the photo and you could tell I was like so excited. <laughs> and he was like, uh. <laughs> Oh yeah. And he was just like, couldn't give a shit less about me and us. And, but he was like, Oh, what are your names? And she's like, you want to, he just immediately said, you want to make out. <laughs> it's her most hated joke of all time. Yeah. Sure. Celebrities can do things that other people can't. They can. They can get away with a bunch of shit. They have what we perceive as a magic quality, yeah. which is probably the same magic quality that music has when it's worn that groove into your brain and then you right. hear it. And it's like, oh, I like it. It's just this magic quality of like familiarity. Yeah. 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 Are we recording? Oh, cool. <laughs> Great. Well, then we might as well get official with it. Oh, yeah, sure. You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Katie, how do you pronounce your last name officially? It's Tayback. Tayback. Oh, it's pretty close. Yeah. I was going to say Tayback. Tayback. Yeah, it's it's as, it's as if there, it's T-A-Y-B-A-C-K. Okay. Tayback. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's easily rememberable. Yeah. And Dee Dee Tayback happens to be who I'm talking to today. Welcome to the show, Dee Dee. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, so we were already talking about celebrity stuff. We've recorded quite a bit of that. We might as well continue and talk a little bit more about that stuff. Uh, uh, Jermaine Clement, is he as tall as I imagine him to be? He's pretty tall, but my husband's six, four. Wow. So he's not as, I think he was probably like six feet. Okay. Six, six so four. like reasonably yeah. tall. Six, yeah. four. That's like Conan O'Brien tall. Yeah. Big. Yeah. He's tall. Yeah. Cool. Which I like cause I, I, I feel little. Yeah. <laughs> cause I'm, I'm five, eight, five, seven, five, eight. Very decent. Yeah. Height. So there was always, I was always dating guys that were like, you know, a little shorter than me, which is fine. But yeah. there's, there's something so nice about being with someone who can like just wrap you. Yeah. Like big, like big, like Bigfoot. I yeah. was going to say Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, I, I, my ideal height would be about six, four. I, I, my entire, I've thought a lot about this actually. My entire look would change if I were six, four, I would let everything grow out. I would be like a shaggy. Uh, like full, uh, like, like long thing. beard. Yeah, I would. I would never touch the beard ever again if I were six four. I would just let it go to like biker length. Nice. You can't do that at five eight. It look. It's like 
disproportionately yeah. weird. You, it makes your, the rest of your body look squat at five eight, but at you, six yeah. four, you be, you're menacing. You would look like like a more of a wizard. Yeah, if you were yeah, like like the long beard. Whereas I think you would be kind of like a, the bounty man or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I like that movie. The, uh, what we do, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I loved it. It was yeah. so funny. It was. And, and, uh, it like got all the details of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. The different kinds of vampires and whatnot. I, yeah. I, I was like, and I think they, what they talk, what he talks about in the talk back, uh, was that they actually spent like a year, I think doing all the drawings and stuff. Oh, really? Like they went through like all these drawings and then they like recreated them. Um, in the, that opening sequence, I think where you have, all the different vampires and yeah. like, looks like it's in books and they spend a lot of time on it. It so. shows the attention yeah. to detail really shows and that makes such a huge difference too. In, in, yeah. in a movie, like you can really tell the difference between who put the effort into getting stuff right and who cut corners and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. I, had, I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Were you a, like a big comedy person growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I was really into Monty Python yeah. and, Living color, even though I wasn't supposed to watch it. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, there was a period where we. I I don't know. If this was the same for you, but I used to watch The Simpsons. Yeah, and if you wore a Bart T-shirt to school, yeah, you I would get in this. trouble. Like that, you had to yeah. turn, and it just said "Eat your shorts" or "Eat my shorts." Yeah, and nowadays I think kids wear crazy shirts, crazier shirts. But uh, you had to I'm turn sure. it inside out. You were like a bad, bad seed if you had a Simpson shirt on. Yeah, there's like, in one weird way, things are like way more permissive now than they were when we were kids. And then in another way, things are way more rigid than when we were kids. Like I remember now, like I remember writing stories for English class deliberately just to annoy the teacher that I would fill with like all (laughs) kinds of exotic forms of violence just just so I could like cause a scene when I read it in front of the class. That now they would call the FBI. <laughs> they would. It, it, like, you know, like you. Lewis is a serial killer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but you get away with it, no problem. You just get like a little like finger wagged in your mm-hmm. face. But back then, if you wore a Bart Simpson shirt to school, you would be sent home. Right. Yeah. They were completely insane. Really strict about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot more, there's a little bit more innocence from when we were growing up. Now I think they, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Kids get like kidnapped or, yeah. you know, yeah. Kids get hurt. Like I, where I grew up, it was, I guess where it was kind of a little bit more quiet, Miami, even though it was Miami, Miami <laughs> but it's like the suburbs. It was different when I was growing up versus now. Yeah. Like it was a little bit more farm, like, you know, suburbs, quiet, like older people. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in high school, it kind of became more like party, you know, go to the club and go to the beach. What uh, what part of, of of Florida is like when you associate like party life in Florida? What are we thinking of? Is it Miami, Miami beach? beach? Yeah, the beach. How far is that from where you grew up? That's actually like thirty minutes from my house. Okay. Um, so when my husband comes down, he always wants to go to the beach, but I'm like, well, that's like a that's a long drive. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, I have a pool. You can come to my pool. That's is it an above ground or a below ground pool? Yeah, below ground, kidney so shape. You have no really kidney shape? Yeah. You got no cost to go to a beach. Yeah. And we have a canal in the back that cuts through. Really? I wouldn't go in it, but you could look at it. So. Why wouldn't you go in it? Like um there's some weird stuff in there. Like I <laughs> <laughs> you would uh every 
every year they would put some sort of chemical in it to kill the algae. Yeah. And then all these fish would die. Huh. And, uh, and then I, my, I had a next door neighbor who was really into sea life and he would go and like dig up, get turtles from there. And they just looked a little weird. Huh. So I, I remember I had a fifth grade birthday party where everyone wanted to jump into the canal. And I was like, no, I, I just never, never went in it. How, like how deep is the canal? I think it's pretty deep. Really? I'm not sure how deep. But. It just like cuts through the backyards of you and your neighbors? Yeah. Yeah. It's um. so they drained out. It's like a man-made canal okay. and they drained out Lake Okeechobee. And yeah, it's just right in the back and there's, you can connect to probably the bay somewhere. Huh. Is it like wide enough to like, if you wanted to like run away from home, could you just like put like a floaty in there and float down the canal? I could have. Yeah. But That's when like, I ran away, I just tied my blankie into, you know, like hobos yeah. and cartoons. Kind of bundle. Them. Yeah. To a bundle. Yeah. And then I would just walk under. Bindle. To, a bindle. Yeah. Yeah. To like a bindle to like my tree in the yeah. front yard. <laughs> yeah. And then no one ever, no one ever came <laughs> to find me. And then I would go back because I was probably hungry or something. Yeah. I, I think I never, I ran away a couple of times. I never got farther than the corner. Yeah. And the same thing I had like, when I was a kid, we had um, uh, like a shrub that separated my property from my neighbor's property. There's like a little area. If you could crawl under the shrub, there was like a little opening inside the shrub that was like big enough for like two kids to fit in. That would be like my area. So I would run away and hide into the shrub, expecting my parents to get worried and come looking for me. And and after like an hour, you realize like, oh, nobody cares. Also, it's Miami. It's hot. (laughs) It's like hot. And then, yeah, it's like some mosquitoes and stuff. I did try to go to walk to Burger King once. How far was Burger King? Probably in like New York standards, not far. Okay, yeah. But I find that when you go, you know, when you go home, like when I go home, people don't walk anywhere. Yeah. There's, so like I would, it's probably a 20 minute walk. And I don't think we, we made it halfway. That's weird to me. And, and uh, because I'm, I'm New York born and. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, not the city. I, you know, I grew up on Staten Island. So you don't, I mean, Staten Island's a car culture, you know. Yeah. But still, like, just, like, walking around was, like, a big nuts. You get bored, you go walk around the neighborhood for a while. So I always found it strange when I, like, hit college and started meeting people from other places to find out that, like, walking is considered, like, one of the things tourists think of when they think of New York is you got to walk a lot. Yeah, it's, I remember, I, it's embarrassing that I didn't walk to school. It was so close. I lived eight minutes away from school. Like, got a ride every day. <laughs> and that's like, just like normal. That's like the way. Yeah. Things. People don't want, I don't know if it's just cause it's hot or it's probably just cause it's hot, but then there are other places that people, it's not a walking culture. Yeah. Are there sidewalks? To, and yeah, most places. I don't know. I don't know. But, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I like the way I think when I walk, I enjoy it. Like <laughs> I love what I love walking now. Yeah. And now when I go home, this, when my mom, walks around the block for her exercise. It's yeah. the same amount of steps as me just going from my apartment to the subway, and yeah. the subway to work and back. <laughs> so it's like a workout in itself. I, whenever I have like family visiting New York and they start like belly aching about how long everything, like they'll yeah. belly ache about the distance from like Penn station to the magnet. If they're going to come see me do something, it's like, really? <laughs> Don't be silly. It's good for you to walk. Yeah, you, you just got, you don't get used to it. Like my parents grew up here actually. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember being little and coming to visit and my dad would always want to just walk and we would think it was Crazy. horrible. Yeah. 
And, and now uh, he loves it. He loves being in the city and you can just like kind of walk home or like keep, you know, walk around. Yeah, it's like a freedom attached yeah. to it. What, what brought your family to Miami, Florida? Um, so my dad is a doctor and he did his, res- his residency down in Miami. Okay, cool. Yeah, but they met at NYU. Very nice. So I work there now. So they're, they were very excited to come back and visit and go to their old stomping grounds and stuff. Where do you do at NYU? HR. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, um, how do you get involved with HR? Uh, you, actually, you might be the first HR person I've ever met in my oh, life. Oh, really? Very possibly. Um, we do get a bad rep a little bit. You're the butt yeah. of a lot of jokes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, honestly, I think it's because it, it, it's like an easily, if you want to summarize office life really quickly without having to do any any work and being specific about what you're making fun of, you just reference HR right. and you get the laugh. So you you guys are, unfortunately, you got the short end of the comedy stick. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's some boring stuff to it and like taxes and- yeah. Hiring forms, but actually I didn't study HR at all. I was a temp Mm -hmm. um, and I was like a temp for the HR manager. And then over time I just, you know, I got my certificate and she kind of mentored me in it. Um, But I, so I've been there for six years. So. And you like it? Yeah. Yeah. I love my boss. Yeah. Shout out to Audrey. Way to go, Audrey. (laughs) She probably won't listen to this. You never know. Yeah, it's true. Maybe she's up like really late one night with like a toothache and she can't go to sleep. She'll start yeah. like Googling. Yeah. Oh, process. I'll send her the link. Nice. Oh, so save her the work. <laughs> she always wants to come to one of my shows. Um, but it's a little late for some of my, you know, she lives out in Long Island. So then it's oh, kind yeah. of late to hang around in the city. I, I feel weird sometimes. I, like I don't really have friends outside of um, the theater. And family, I feel weird about like having them come oh, out sure. because yeah. when people are coming distances to see your perform, then it's, it's really a night out for them. Yeah. And uh, it always makes me feel like a little weird of like, oh, you're going to dedicate a night out to see me doing something really stupid with a, yeah. with a straight face. I don't know. Don't, don't come. <laughs> yeah. I, there was one show where she said she was going to come and I got kind of nervous. Yeah. Cause you know, you never know, you never know what's going to happen. Like things yes. can go. They get dirty. Blue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly, it's almost like a, it's a guarantee that if you have someone who you're trying to impress coming to a show, you or the group that you're playing with are going to do the filthiest. Thing. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. My aunt and cousin who he's, he was probably like 17 or 18. I did like a, the Friday night show for a little bit, yeah. like two shows. And they went to one, which is like. It was like the most, like lends itself to being dirty the most, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they're very, my aunt especially is like, you know, pretty conservative. And there was a scene where we were in college and like people were having sex. And I, someone had to go in to be the person to have sex. And it took me like a long time. I was like, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. And I ended up not. I made a different another choice. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Of my cousin or my aunt. Well, those are always tough <laughs> moves because I, like you have the, the one side of it is fulfilling the right. whatever the punchline is. But the other side of it is you also know that like if you go out there and simulate sex, it's gonna be a really gross moment that gets no real response. And yeah. you're never gonna be able to pull back from that, really. So like that always puts me in a little bit of a panic when stuff like that comes up because it's like, all right, what's the comical choice to make here? that will satisfy the needs of this show and also let me walk away with my dignity. And it's almost never 
Uh, uh, hey, all you kids listening to this podcast, take this one to heart. Sex itself is never funny on stage. Right. The I lead agree. up to it is hilarious, yeah. and the and the after fact is hilarious, but the act itself is best left to the imagination. Yeah. And it just makes everyone feel weird. I think <laughs> yeah, it does. There, there are certain things. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday about being a man pantomiming peeing on stage, pantomiming being at a urinal and uh, how, if you stand facing the audience and you're, and you're miming peeing in a urinal, people will not laugh at that. And in fact, they will kind of slightly resent you. But if you turn your back to the audience and go up against the back wall and pee like that, they will have the greatest time. And it's just this like mental thing of the first one feels a little bit, um, invasive. You're forcing people to think about something that they really don't want to have front and center in their mind. And they get kind of like resentful at you for like, they'll call it being gross, but really it's a thing of like, it's like invading mental space. But the second one, when you cheat it and hide it, people are delighted to entertain all kinds of filthy thoughts as long as they're the ones entertaining the thought. If you put it in their head, they become resentful. Yeah, that's true. I didn't ever thought about that. But that's, yeah, people, I haven't done the too many urinal scenes, to be honest. Give it a try. <laughs> Get with your back to the audience. Give it a try. I guarantee. It, yeah. It's a laugh. I guarantee yeah. it. Although I've done a lot of like sitting in stalls. Yeah. But not, you know. <laughs> yeah, those never work for me. I've done a yeah. lot of sitting in stall scenes. And like going to the bathroom and sex are both like, I avoid them on stage. They just like, they're rarely yeah. funny. But I always find that like in my mind, someone struggling to go to the bathroom is very funny. Like the psychology of like sitting and waiting for a long time and having a lot of time to kill to me is very funny. And I always assume that that's going to be funny to an audience too. So when I, whenever I've like done a scene where I'm in a stall, I, I'm like in my mind, I, I'm like struggling. Not like the joke is not that I'm struggling. The joke is that I'm sitting there for a long time and nothing's happening, but I know my body. So it's going to take a while. <laughs> Never gets a laugh. <laughs> Never. So I just try to avoid bathroom scenes now. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I, yeah. I think when I've done it, it's like someone else and then you're like talking. Yeah. And then you like go wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but then you're stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. There, there will, well, I've done a lot of scenes of um, stage fright, peeing stage fright. I've done that a few times. I've been in many scenes of, excuse me, do you have any toilet paper? Oh yeah. A lot of, yeah. A lot of those. Yeah. Uh, uh, to which I think the funniest response is, yes, I do. And then you just <laughs> give them exactly what they asked for. And, <laughs> and now what do you do? I like that. I yeah, don't argue in no, no, no. bathroom toilets. No. Toilet paper scene. <laughs> uh, so what brought you to improv? Um, well, actually, I started when I was kind of young. Um, I was a very theatrical kid. And uh, there was a University of Miami theater camp mm. that I went to. I think it was about like in fourth grade. Um, and then part of that like, is you did a jazz tap voice acting and improv was one of the ones. Um, so I always thought that was fun. Uh, I also remember just thinking about that, remember that you had to come in with a song mm-hmm. and I did sweet transvestite from Rocky Horror picture show. Cool song. Yeah. Yeah. But for an eight year, eight year old doing it, it's probably a little weird. Did you know what you were singing? I don't think I knew what a transvestite was. No. You just, you liked the tune. Yeah. I just love Tim Curry. I love the movie. Sure. Yeah. Tim Curry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So you do improv like, it's more like sketch stuff. 
Um, and then I was always really in, like into that. And then in college, you do like the orientation show and you see um, the, this, the improv team there and they were like amazing. So I was like, oh, I'm going to audition. I actually had a friend like force me to audition because I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. And then, I, yeah, I got on there and um, you do, there's like a short form team and a long form team. This is at Fairfield? Yeah, Fairfield. In Connecticut where you met Evan, Evan. Barton. Hey, Evan. <laughs> I was a senior when Evan was a freshman. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I forced, yeah, thank you. Yeah, if anyone wants to thank me at the Magnet, Evan is uh, does improv because of me. <laughs> well, so what were the circumstances? What did you see? What was the spark in Evan that made you push this? It's just, you know, I think I saw a lot of myself in him. You come, you're freshman, you're freshman, you don't know anyone, and you do a free, like, workshop where you kind of get to know each other and you do games. And it's really fun, but when you don't know anybody, it can be really nerve-wracking. And he, I... You know, he was there and I don't remember exactly what the scene was, but I thought, oh, he's funny. And it's a great community mm. at, uh, at Fairfield. And um, it brought me a lot of joy. So he wasn't going to audition. I was like, you should just audition. Like, what's the worst that could happen? And now he's impromptu. king. Life, <laughs> life-changing event. And now he's the producer of this podcast. Yeah. Wow. You know what? None of us would be in this room right now if you didn't push him, perhaps. Think about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but and that, he's, he's a wonderful improviser. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a great, I think, one of the best first improv experiences because it's just the best group of people who are just there to have fun. Yeah. And I was always kind of weird. And then like a weird sense of humor, still do, yeah. but uh, everyone there appreciated it and was on the same page. And um, the teacher there, the, the improv teacher who ran everything, she was great and really taught me a lot. So, Like I've heard, I didn't do college improv, um, but I've heard some, what to me would be horror stories. Right, uh, yeah. Of just like college groups running the gamut from um, just like a, a, a frat house mentality of, of misogynistic bullshit to being so super serious and tightly wound that it sounds like it's no fun at all. <laughs> it sounds like Fairfield in your day was like the sweet spot was like the right, right spirit. Yeah, we were, I, there was really like no misogyny. I don't think, well, not when I was there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, I don't know if it's because it was, run by a woman, but I think it was all, we went to a school that was really like business, like business school heavy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get along with a lot of the other, other people there, but I think all the kids would like, who liked comedy and just wanted to have fun. They all kind of joined improv. Yeah. And so that was great. And then I think, I think we were probably a little too serious, like in some aspects <laughs> we, uh, um, you know, like the, the we did like a rock ceremony hmm. at the end of the year. What what is that? We <laughs> this is probably like on the spot secrets <laughs> that oh. I'm feeling. Oh, you don't have to. No, share but it's fine. It's um at the end of the year the you kind of like we do a you, there's a almost like a mix them up and everyone performs and does an opening number kind of stuff and does improv and then everyone gets a rock and they go to different people and you're supposed to put like 
a positive feeling into the rock. Mm-hmm. And I honestly still have them. Yeah. Because I, the thought of throwing them away, I don't know. I've, I don't know. There's so many people put positive thoughts into them. Yeah, so, sure. Totally. Yeah. So I kind of hold on to them. But. Oh, so the, so it, the rock is then passed around the room and absorbs the positive. Everyone gets their own. Oh. And then people go around to each other and they're like, oh. So it's know. like, will you sign my yearbook? But it's, yeah. will, will you put positive energy yeah. in my Yeah. And they're rock? sage. Yeah. There's some sage involved. It was very, very witchy, very Wiccan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blood spill. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, I would never throw that rock away either. Yeah. You'd it's be- kind of, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sentimental, but. Yeah. Well, it takes on a symbolic yeah. value and, you know, it, yeah. it, it uh, you know, I absolutely believe in, in power objects and, you know, like you'd be crazy to want to get yeah, rid it's of like that. Like my horcrux or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the, um, but the teacher, Heather Parody is her name. I should give a shout out to Heather. Um, probably Googling yeah, this right, Google. right now. She probably has a severe toothache and <laughs> <Yeah>. can't sleep. <laughs> Google alert for her name. Yeah. Um, she, I think, I think was way ahead of her time in terms of improv theory. She was always about like, cut the bullshit, be truthful. Hmm. Um, you know, that's what's funny. You know, trying to be funny is not funny. Cause I would, it took me a long time. I would get nervous. So I would think of what I was going to do. I'll be like, Oh, this is really funny. I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Like, and then she'd be like, no DD and go back. And like, she kind of got it out of me and she would be like, just step out and be honest and be truthful. And it changed my entire thing about improv. So. What does that mean to you to be honest in a scene? Like react, um, you know, doesn't mean you have to necessarily be yourself. Uh, I like playing different characters and stuff, but you have to be true to that character. Or, you know, if someone makes a, um, a, a choice, like someone comes out and makes this decision, you have to be, you know, decide what my character in this moment would say or how they would react mm. instead of just being like, you know, dick joke, mm. you know, or, <laughs> <laughs> You know, things things like that. So. Although, you know. <laughs> yeah, dick jokes could be honest. Like, if you're kidding. Well, yeah, I guess a dick joke could be honest. <laughs> if it's, if it, well, if a dick joke, if a dick joke is coming from a recognizable point of view, then I suppose mm. the joke is not the dick joke. The joke right. is the person making yeah. the dick joke. Though, if you don't know what else to say in a scene, literally saying the words dick joke <laughs> probably would do the trick more often than not, I guess. Yeah, but then you just ruin the scene. But then you're stuck with it. <laughs> So it's, so for you, it's all, yeah. it's a point of view. Right. Thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, what would this character mm-hmm. say about this? How would this character feel about this laying that groundwork and then letting the jokes come out of the consistency of that point of view? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, now I'm, I, sometimes I step out and I don't have anything. <laughs> uh, so I want to like visualize that. So you're in a show and you step out with nothing in mind. What is what are you likely to do then with nothing in mind? Are you likely to wait for someone or are you going to, like, how, how do you get yourself going? Most of the time I kind of go for some emotion or I'll make, like, a quick choice um, in my head of, like, like, if someone, I see someone's going out and they're, like, opening a fridge, I'm like, oh, we're, Maybe we're roommates, you know, you, you have to start with sometimes something, mm-hmm. but then don't have everything so that you can build together. 
um, you know, you don't want to step out and be like, Hey, George, you're my father. How nice to see you. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, it's the talent show, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Although that's not so bad. actually. (laughs) Sorry guys. I'm just so good at improv. I can't come up with a bad. (laughs) So that would be like, you just give yourself that little bit. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So people that like, and your partner or something, you know, um, you know, I've been done, I've done scenes with people where they just like, don't do anything. And that's kind of hard. You know, you don't want to put all the work on one person. Sure. How do you, how do you like to play? Like what, what's like your ideal situation? I like playing different characters. Um, and then sometimes I like kind of doing this slow build mm-hmm. where it starts off slow and then it can kind of get fast and, heighten and heighten and heighten until like at the end it's like crazy. (laughs) You know, I sometimes can be a little wild cardy. How would you describe your own sense of comedy? That's might be the most obnoxious question (laughs) you would ask anybody. Um, Oh gosh. Um, Or like maybe here's another better way to ask that. That puts you less on the spot. What's the, what makes you laugh? Like what are, what are the things that you hold that you look to as like always truly funny for you? Sometimes it's randomness. Yeah. You know, when, when someone's very specific, like with a specific detail that you go and why, where did that, where did that come from? Um, and like, and like it still pertains to the scene, but it's just being like really specific. Yeah. We were talking about uh, uh, Michael Ian Black before. Yeah. That just makes me think of Stella. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I like Stella. You don't? I like Stella you do. a lot. Yeah, I do too. I had the DVD. Me too. You made everyone watch it at college. <laughs> Evan's shaking. Evan's nodding his head. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a great. I mean, yeah. Stella was a really funny show. And, and like um, a textbook case to study how to be random and specific at the same time because like they will start off playing one game and then it just like mutates as they're playing it into like complete nonsense. Gosh. And then they like when they, uh, the the campfire one yeah, where then they, um, listen to James Taylor's fire and rain for like five (laughs) full minutes. Love that. Yeah. But they get like super, super specific. It's not just weird, but I think like a random would be a pretty good word to characterize a lot of the way that they play stuff. Things just get really random, but also hyper specific. Yeah. So you're constantly left surprised at like what the hell is going on. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's a good way to put it. Like surprising. Sometimes I surprise, you know, like, you know, myself yeah. with just way my brain works and, and shows and stuff and, and, and rehearsal. Um, Hmm. I don't know how to approach this question. <laughs> how do you surprise yourself? It was the question, but that seems like it seems like a bad question to ask. No, um, you know, st- well, I'll probably have a weird way of answering. You know, like you have so much, we have so much random crap in our brains, right? Like uh, this random information that we pull, and sometimes when I'm in a scene, and the first thing that comes to my head, and I say it before really processing it. And most of the time I make myself break a lot yeah. <laughs> just because I'm like, where did that come from? Like, why did I say that? 
So, so you like you'll open your mouth and let stuff come out without like oh, fully knowing what yep. is coming out all the time in life. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's probably I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's yeah. That's <laughs> or, right. or break out into song like things. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, I'm trying to like uh, um, break it down to. There is for me sometimes like a, a a mental screen goes up that like blocks that kind of stuff. Like if I'm by myself at home or like taking a shower, it, it um it, it's like a psychedelic '60s cartoon going on in my brain. There's just like random things floating through the sky of my mind, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I'll sing along with it. I don't know. That's weird, but like shit just pops into your head out yeah. of nowhere that you're like delighted by it. and you have no idea what, what the hell it is. It's like a little bit of a song that as you start singing turns into like nonsense or it's like a phrase suddenly pops into your mind that, you know, yeah, pass yeah. the oatmeal gym will like come out and you're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. But then sometimes I find that when I'm, when I'm performing, there's like a screen that blocks yeah. that stuff out and, 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 um, like I don't have as easy access to it. I guess like the performance becomes a little bit too important in a bad way. Yeah. Because I, I, the goal, right, is to like, you want to access that spontaneity. You want to have this kind of like unfiltered uh, um, access to just like whatever's going on in like your unconscious and like see, get it out there and start like shaping it as it's coming out there, right? Yeah, I I think that's what with, with my, my teacher Heather kind of beat out of me is that I don't have that when I'm on stage. Yeah. No. And so that sometimes it could work in my disfavor because I start rambling and I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, but I'm, but yeah, I mean, when I'm in the moment, when I'm on stage and like, I try most, most of the time I, I think I succeed like paying attention to what's happening. Hmm. And then, um, yeah, I'm just so in the zone that like I don't have that filter. It, so I guess it, it, it's like finding that sweet spot of of relating it back, I guess, to like what's going on. Like I, I don't know. It, it to me, so much of improvising is is just about finding this exact balance between caring and not caring, mm-hmm. and between paying close attention and sort of being a little bit unconscious in a way. Like if I think too much about what I'm doing, it's no good. If I don't think at all about what I'm doing. It's no good. If I'm following along just enough, but I'm also kind of like a little bit of a blank that tends to be really good. Yeah. And you also don't want to overthink it. Cause I think sometimes people get so in their heads that they don't make any moves. Yeah. They don't step out or, and then they regret you. I feel like most of the time you regret this, the moves you don't make versus the moves you do make. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, it, it, that's a good way of, of reminding yourself to just get on with it and do it. Yeah. Um, because I, I, it, that like always feels that what if. It, it does, it stings when you do something stupid that doesn't work, but the sting kind of like goes away and you'll learn a lesson about it. Either the lesson in like, oh, don't do that again, or we'll do it, but with yeah. this twist. Yeah. Give them the toilet paper instead of not having the toilet paper or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But when you hold it in and you don't really, you never act on it. And it's always that like, what if. Yeah. 
those are most of my regrets after shows. I'm like, oh, I should have made this move. Yeah. Should have done this. Like we, uh, in an Ariana, the last Ariana Grande show, it started off talking about dreams. And then we kind of had like a weird show. And in the end, I was like, oh, I should make this move where it's all a dream. I was like, I should do it now. I should make that move now. And yeah. I didn't. And the lights went out. And then, uh, I was, and then after you, afterwards, you tell the team, oh, this is what I was going to do. And it was like, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I ruined the show. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, you get over it. and It's totally disposable. Yeah. And it doesn't, yeah. again, it's like that balance between like, it matters and it doesn't matter. You yeah. care and you don't care. Like, yeah. okay, it, you'll have another show to, yeah, exactly. to try yeah. again. That's interesting. I've uh, like, I find that too, that, that when I have an idea that I sit on, it's not just the idea. It's also do it now is in my mind too. It's not yeah. just like say this, it's say it now. It, it's almost like some part of you is just like aware of like the rhythm of stuff being correct. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you always, yeah. I'm always like, if I don't do it now, then when am I going to do it? Or maybe I shouldn't interrupt the scene to just like cut through and then swipe and, and it's always, I think, makes this, I feel like most of the time if you're, it makes the scene better. Yeah. You know? uh, because the people up there, they're also maybe running out of, of steam too, you know, or they appreciate that it's the end of the show and they probably don't know how to black it out. And <laughs> um, they're kind of like mumbling and, you know, <laughs> you're like waiting. It's getting and, quieter and quieter <laughs> and until eventually no one's doing anything at all. Yeah. Just standing there really weird. And then one person yeah. quietly goes, Joke. Yeah. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to get from other people on stage? Like how, how do you enjoy what to you is a very like inviting energy to receive from, from a fellow player? Um, hmm. I guess, yeah, someone to, that you can almost like, a good tennis player where you can like go back and forth on information. It's not, it's like you're sharing the scene together and you're both kind of on and like hitting the, the ball back and forth. It's kind of, it's, you know, you know, you don't want, you want someone who can ma- maybe match mm-hmm. or if they don't like match your energy can match the scenes. That makes sense. Like to keep up. Yeah. To keep, yeah. To keep on passing it back. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, be able to move things forward. Yeah. Um, I kind of definitely try to live by the philosophy that there's no wrong choice yeah. that people make. Like, you know that old, I'm probably not old game, but the game, the improv exercise where someone says, like, let's play, you know, gravel fun. And you, everyone goes, yay. And then you make up what yeah. I try to play like that. And I like it when other people play like that where my ideas aren't necessarily what they would have done, but they appreciate it. They take it, they add on to it and they're like, yes, this is this idea. And then build from that versus I've done other scenes and been on teams before where I make a choice. Sorry. I'm like cold. I think I sound like I'm crying or something. Uh, and then it, she really is crying, folks. She's a pilot, but she's in hysterical and tears. I shouldn't point it out. It's, I just love it so much. <laughs> it's, it's a weird moment. But we're going to write it out. We're going to see what happens. Do you want to? I'm going to put my jacket on my lap. Oh, okay. um, but I've done scenes before where people, like I made a choice and then you're, 
the whole game is that girl's weird yeah. or that character's weird. Yeah. And then it's just taking me to different places where um, my character's weird. And I don't like necessarily like that. I like it where it's you play the game of the character. Like, oh, this character's weird, but, you know, if you take her to other places, like, you know, you, there's smarter moves you can make versus just calling out a character for being strange. Or, yeah, it's almost a, always a mistake to do that because if anything, you should never comment on the weird part of it. Just let right, the weird yeah. comment be weird and then surround it with, take it really seriously. Yeah. But it, you've like completely deflated it when all of your attention is just on yeah. calling out the thing that everyone already knows is weird. Yeah. And I like to, I think, I like to have fun. Yeah. I think my that's my big goal in improv is just to have a bunch of people that you want to just have fun and uh, you support each other and you're positive with each other. Yeah. And I think when you do that, it just takes the fun out of the scene and makes me want, want to make uh, the choices I would want to make in a, in a show. Mm-hmm. So there, that, for anybody who's not familiar with the game that you're talking about, it, it's the one, I think it's called like um, playground game. Right. And the idea is that someone just suggests the title of a game as if everyone already knows how to play it. And then you play it on the spot. Um, and it's super great. It's a really awesome game. And one of the interesting things about it is all you have to do, like in a classroom setting or a rehearsal is add the words, Hey, everybody let's play blank. And, and, people will very unselfconsciously and unguardedly get on board with whatever and just start figuring out rules and patterns on stage in a practical setting. When you don't have that phrase, Hey, everybody let's all play blank and you just make an offer. That's where like people will kind of like hold back and like think really hard about like what you're trying to go for and, 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 block themselves from like adding anything and like not have any fun with it. Right. There's something about like the permissiveness of, Hey, everybody let's, let's do this now Mm -hmm. that like uncorks this ability, like a little kid to just like, again, not care that much to just get on with like playing play first and then figure it out as you go. Yeah. So like a team. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I love Ariana Grande. I think they're, everyone is really great about that. Everyone just gets on board. Yeah. One of the uh, uh, most exciting group games I ever saw was in a level three class where they were doing a robot Harold. It's a Harold that took place on a planet made up of nothing but robots and sentient machines. And somebody initiated a group game by going initiate group game. And then immediately everyone at once became like a Voltron machine, like climbing each other's backs and stuff like that. And then just like walking around the stage as like a Voltron machine, fighting (laughs) another Voltron machine. And it's like that, just like incredible thing of if you give it the right context, then people don't judge their choices. They don't judge their playfulness and they are able to do these amazing things that, that kind of takes everybody by surprise. Like you take yourself by surprise from your ability to be kind of like uninhibited and just like do something awesome. But you also like can be really surprised to see how on the same page everybody can be immediately when they just have that yeah. little bit of permission to like, it doesn't make a difference. Just, yeah, just go for it. Yeah. 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 Usually you have like one person who just says they step out and they make initiation. And if everyone, 
kind of gets on the same page and goes for it. Yeah. Doesn't say like, are we doing this right? I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. And yeah. then like they step back or they go out or they make different choices. It's nice when it's all like harmony. Yeah. I read uh, uh, a quote that really stuck with me. It was reading Impro for Storytellers by Keith Johnstone. Have you ever read that? No, no. It's a really fucking batty book. It's like hard to follow. <laughs> this is a terrible book. No, well, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good book, but it's like you have to know a lot about like how Keith Johnstone works as a director and you have to know a lot about like theater sports and like the different kinds of improv he's, he's kind of innovated. The book is kind of like a manual for improv groups that play in his style. It's huge. It's like 400 pages of like this manual. <clears throat> but like it, sometimes you'll be reading it and you're like, I can no longer follow the thread of this because I haven't seen this show. So I have no, I have no, right. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. And it's very British too, which, which is also like very like, there's a strange, by our standards, preoccupation in the way that he sets up games with like, differences of class and differences of social sphere that we in America tend not to like think about too much. Anyway, <laughs> the quote, he, he was saying that um, you don't really want to see, you know, you don't go out to the theater to see how clever these people can be. You're going out to kind of bask in uh, um, your warmth and good naturedness and playfulness that yeah yeah i think that's true because it's have you ever watched improv after the fact how do you mean like um like someone recorded it and then oh, yeah, watch yeah. it i yeah. always find it's not good yeah <laughs> i mean even like the best like the best show you're like oh this is a great show and then you go to watch it um and then it's like oh that's just not good i think it's because there's like some sort of the magic like when you're there of feeling that energy of yeah know. yeah it's it's lacking that that like sense of like shared like warmth yeah. in the room yeah yeah uh, um, that could just be my opinion so no i think it's <laughs> a, it, for the most part i i can't think of too many shows that have been filmed that you're like this really holds up yeah because like it, it, it I, I mean part of it is just like the comedy aspect of it and part of it is the like raw improvisational aspect of it and from an improvisational side if you're not there to be part of the unfolding of this thing in that moment, watching everyone really yeah. take care of it as it's happening, it loses that thing. And it just kind of is like, Oh, okay. It, yeah. it, it, it feels like eating leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know um, back when I was on a team in Miami called just the funny, they did a, I think they, they still do it now, but the Miami improv festival mm-hmm. and I was on like the committee that we watched the submissions to like pick people. Yeah. And we had to watch, we watched like 50 group, like improv shows and some of that, you know, like I'm sure they were great, but it just, when you, it, it's just harder to watch. Like when you're watching it on like TV and you're like, Oh, sure. Pick them. <laughs> and, and then you come and they do a much better show, but yeah, definitely is not my favorite way to watch improv. No. And, and you lose a lot of like, the timing on video yeah. too. It, it, having watching a lot of improv back to back, there it starts to like blend into each other a little bit. You start to find like similar patterns and similar rhythms to everything. There's like a similar delivery to everything that's like a little wearing. But when you're like live and in that moment, 
watching the way that people are like subtly and specifically screwing with the rhythm of something yeah. can make all the difference in the world. And then you watch it on video after somebody else's video and you kind of don't, yeah. doesn't really have that relevancy in that moment and it loses its charm. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend who after every, just the funny show, they would watch it and like give notes. And I was like, that's probably like the worst thing I would ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know people do it, but I wouldn't want that. <laughs> that like, why exactly? I think they thought like, oh, this would be a, a good way to get better. Hmm. Is to sit and like watch the show and to be like, oh, like, you know, this is what we did wrong. Like almost like football players. I think they do that, right? Yeah. They sure. watch videos. They watch the, yeah, yeah, they watch sports. The, sure. uh, so I think they thought like that would help, but I find, I would find that to be horrible. I hate watching myself too. So. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's a golden road to putting up that screen and blocking yeah. any ability to let yourself go. Yeah. Cause then you're just second guessing every single thing that's about to come out of your mouth. Yeah. I think that's a, a weird way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get some, like some notes and then you kind of move forward. <laughs> well, I like, you know, if you're a stand up comedian, I see the value in like, studying your own work and improving it. Cause you want to nail the specific thing. You want to get this joke. Perfect. You want to get the timing, right. You want to get your delivery, right. Um, but I think it's more helpful to have someone face to face, tell you your general habits. And then you can kind of give, offer you maybe like a challenge to like nudge yourself into like a different, make a new, yeah. make a new yeah. habit for yourself over time. Yeah. But if you're being, if you're bringing like a standups, um, sense of precision to like studying your own work. I think, I don't think it works really well in an improv context. Yeah. I, I think agree. it just makes yeah. you too, because in stand up you want to, the entire goal is, at least for most stand ups, I think the entire goal is to work really hard to make it look like this is all coming out of your mouth right now, but it's actually a very precise performance that has been like worked out. You can't have that same worked out quality as an improviser um, because it really looks like it's worked out. It looks like you've prepared what you're going to say and what you're going to do before you do it. And it's just like not fresh. Right. Yeah. I've had a friend come over to me after a show it was like the first improv show. And she was like, so that was scripted, right? And I'm like, no, it's not scripted. So you kind of want it to look like kind of together and yeah. not like a, a hot mess or anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, was that a compliment to you when someone asked if it's scripted? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Because um, it means, it, I mean, it's like as if we took the time to like write something yeah. and then put it together and you work well with the people you're with. Like it was probably a tighter show. Yeah, I, there, so I, I think like you can look at that from two different ways. On the one hand, for someone to feel that a show is scripted is to feel like, oh, this, I, I can't tell the difference between something that was on purpose and something that was controlled accident, which I think is a really big compliment. And then on the other hand, there's having the quality of being worked out beforehand that makes you feel almost like watching a politician. It's like a quality of like lack of sincerity to what you're doing. Your mannerisms have been worked out beforehand. Your mannerisms are practiced. Your delivery is practiced. You know what I mean? And, yeah, that's and true. that I, I would take that as an insult if, or, or like, I would fail myself if that were the effect I were having in the show. True. I think 
I think she enjoyed it. Yeah. She was um, also German. So, oh. <laughs> so like visiting for a little bit. Oh, so, yeah. um, I think she would have been pretty vocal if she didn't like it. Germans will tell <laughs> yeah. you if they don't like what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like straight up. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I see what you're saying though. You don't want it to be too like rigid. Well, no, I mean, I, I would always take that as a compliment yeah. if people think it's scripted. Um, I, but I, I can think there's always like one person in a class or like one person who you played with in the early, your early years on a team that you look back with, with like a certain amount of like fondness and also gladness that you don't have to play with them again. <laughs> and they have like that thing where it's like everything out of their mouth feels canned somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. just like. Yeah. I was in, um, so at UCB, I think it was level two with Doug Mo. And it was, this has to be like the weirdest class, but in this weird class, there was this one guy who like was very, like almost hated improv, but was doing it. And yeah. then when we had to do the show, he had a, you have to do like sweep edits and he would like basically come out and like with a, with a, with mock the sweep. Edit. <laughs> he came out and was like, he was like, oh, I'm editing. Like it was just really bizarre. And yeah. it was almost I don't, it was, I I was like very happy never to perform with him again. I just he like hated improv. I think he hated the class. What's and, the fucking point? <laughs> I don't know. You spend a lot. You spend like three hundred dollars. Yeah. And uh, I found it entertaining. I found it funny, but not entertaining. Funny because this is just crazy. Like I'm to this day, I've never seen someone just make fun of a sweep edit while sweep editing yeah. the show. Like seriously, ran across the street. And ran across the stage like, <laughs> and it was like, why, why are you here? Why yeah. did you come to this class? It's like, you know, it's like eight weeks. I, I can't even understand like why not you paid 300 bucks. And, yeah. and so like, you want to like see the eight weeks through, but then don't go to the show yeah. if you hate it. And, and, and oh, yeah. like, if your attitude is just going to be like, yeah. fuck this, <laughs> stay home. Yeah. I think you did like a tag out and you just like, and like, <laughs> Like tag someone out and like just the most sarcastic, weird way. <laughs> I've been in class with, with people where I was convinced that like it was like performance art that they were doing. That like no. being in the class was like an act of performance yeah. art because they were just so aggressively insane about everything and clearly were not there to learn or play yeah. along with anybody. That either this person <laughs> is batshit nuts or they're like Andy Kaufman and this thing yeah. is like one gigantic meta joke that they're playing. Yeah. And then I think I had a friend who was like, he's probably going to get on a UCB team. I bet they'll love him. <laughs> <laughs> I never I, saw that guy again though. Yeah. So, oh, I don't thank even God. know his name. I don't even know his name. Yeah. Thank God. It would, <laughs> it would be a real pain in the ass if yeah. we continued going through levels. <laughs> I had a guy on my level two at UCB who like was the single most difficult person to play with ever. <laughs> and it got to the point where like a lot of people in the class really started enjoying him because he was so, you just, you knew what was yeah. coming you knew no matter what it was going to be difficult to play. And you started to just kind of feel this like sense of like free fall, but he would like, <laughs> like literally, he would deny everything, everything. He, and if you agreed with him, he would then deny that he ever said the thing that you're agreeing with to begin with. And he always made you crazy or always made it that this was just a dream and you were hallucinating. <laughs> like always, it was so insane. And he had this thing where like he would step into everybody's scene. And so like for our show, uh, um, you know, like it, he was like told to like not do that. And then of course he did it. And I remember like one scene 
they like killed him in the scene to get him off the stage. And then he came back. He went backstage and started pounding on the wall. And he was playing his own zombie body <laughs> under the floorboards, trying to get out of the floorboards. <laughs> it was so great. That was really funny. Just complete like that shit insanity. <laughs> you look back fondly on those oddballs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was. I did um, a UCB intensive actually with Nick Canellis. Yeah. Uh, back in 2008, like before I moved here, and there was a guy. He was actually a wonderful improviser, but he spoke no English. Mm-hmm. I think he was Colombian. Mm-hmm. But it was like really interesting to do scenes with him because he he never spoke in a scene. <laughs> but he gave so much with his like physical oh, physicality yeah. Yeah, and yeah. expression yeah. that like you could totally do a scene with him. And he was one he was it's probably one of the best improvisers I ever met. I don't know where that guy is, but he was a joy. I always remember him because at first you're like, well, this must be, it might be hard because yeah. he doesn't speak any English. And it wasn't at all. He was so funny. Have you ever done uh gibberish scenes or like a gibberish? Oh show? yeah. Yeah. I think we had to do like a gibberish Herald. Yeah. I think once, probably more than once. Uh, Those can go bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when, when they don't go bad, when they're handled well, it, it can be amazing. The difference in the quality of your performance um, because it forces you to just have to do exactly what that guy did. You have to be really present to stuff. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and when you can't be funny with your words, you start having to, you either go insane with your behavior or you become a better actor and actually just kind of like really put emotion and put feeling into, into what you're doing and physicalize stuff. And, and the results can be kind of, amazing to watch you could see somebody really become fascinating to look at just because they're not allowing themselves to like they have to they have to believe what they're doing up there and they have to believe what you're doing they have to commit yeah Yeah. and like lots of like him looking at like eye contact or anyone's giving you know that eye contact to make sure yeah oh are we thinking the same thing totally totally yeah, I, and, and you know that's one place where like I do. I used to hate gibberish, and I've I've come to like love it. And I I think that one of one of one of the aspects of it is eye contact can sometimes be very scary because you have this sense of the other person expecting you to say something, and then the eye contact actually makes you want to like look away. Not you know you don't know the right thing to say, but in gibberish since there's no obligation right. to say anything important at all, that eye contact really becomes the lifeline of the whole scene. It's just staying totally committed and totally mm-hmm. present to each other. It's really, it can be really beautiful. Yeah. There's something that we did in, in, in college, I think I've done since then in other classes is something called Meisner. Yeah. Um, and it, at first when I did it, it was like very scary because you sit and you just look at each other and then you have to repeat the same word mm-hmm. back and forth. And then, you have, and for some reason, I guess not for some reason, but because you're so present with someone, like the emotions just go like up and down, and you really become very open. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes as performers, we tend to like close that off. Yeah. We're like, oh no, 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 I don't want to, don't want to be vulnerable, like, or I don't want to be too emotional. Like, Got to be funny. Um, but it really like when you're focusing that much on like the other person or your, your partner, it it's pretty. Amazing. Yeah. It, that's like one of those like recharge moments that, that makes you remember like why it's so exciting to do theater to begin with. Yeah. It, 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 but 
you know, it's interesting because like you do, you have that experience and you're like, man, this can be so profound and so vulnerable and so energized. But when I go to play, I do have to be funny. Right. You know, and and you take that too far and it goes right back to like that Keith Johnstone thing of you take it too far out and then it's just watching people stand there being clever about everything, being totally unaffected by everything. I'm just saying and doing funny things. Whereas like, I I don't know, keeping that like live wire quality of being like vulnerable and present and connected and committed and still also being really on top of, I got to be funny too. I got to like filter everything through my funny, Mm. surprising specific part of my brain. That seems to be the hot spot that you're looking for. And, you know, even as we're talking about like crazy people in classes, it sort of like occurs to me that like, well, if you look at these people who are just like a real handful and do everything completely insanely, if you take the bad attitude away from that, in a way, it's almost like, well, I kind of aspire to do what that right, person's yeah. doing. They don't it's care. just minus the bad attitude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, that sense of unpredictability and being insane is actually like, oh, that's what I want. I want to be, I, I, I want to be totally surprising. Yeah. But married with warm and good natured and playful and not a pain in the ass of everybody. Like I want people to want to be surprised by me rather than have people be on guard about it. Right. Like what is Tina going to do next? Yeah. 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 My gosh, she's ruining the scene. Yeah. But like that kind of is like the goal in a way is to like, let that guard down. And I like, I guess it it, it, like you can look at it from like a place of vulnerability you can also look at it from a place of letting that f- screen down yeah. and letting the unex- unpredictable stuff rise up to the surface and, and letting yourself truly be improvising in that moment, truly spontaneously be doing stuff that even you're like, I don't know, this seems like a fun thing to do. Let's do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And what's funny enough is I didn't, I mean, I guess you, you could, people could think differently. I never thought of myself necessarily as like a wild card. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was just more like, I guess weird, but still buy the book. And then someone else kind of was like, Oh no, I'm like, you're, you never know what you're going to say out of your mouth, but it's always hilarious. And yeah. I was like, Oh really? Like you, I guess you never really know what kind of player you are until other people no. <laughs> tell you. And I kind of find it's best like not to think too much about yeah. it. Um, uh, because like, I don't know, you don't want to f- just become like self-conscious and you don't want to, either start like apologizing for it and trying to just like be different, but you also don't want to start doing like an imitation of yourself. Well, I guess I'm the wild card, so I'll do wild card things. Cause yeah. then you're not really be doing the wild card thing. It's a very calculated, deliberate wild card move. Right. Yeah. You come out and you just like climb that back wall or something. Yeah. <laughs> People are always like climbing, just climbing over that wall. Yeah. Which, <laughs> it's interesting because like that can either be, really funny or really annoying. Yeah. And it totally is not about the move. It's totally about the attitude behind that move. Right. You do that with the wrong attitude. It's obnoxious as shit. Like (laughs) I I always get worried. I'm like, me too. Me too. And and I, sometimes if I'm annoyed by that, I I get worried that they're going to get hurt. I get annoyed that I'm worried now. Cause like, I I don't, I don't want to be worried in a show. I want to enjoy myself. And I get annoyed because I kind of feel like you're, avoiding making a real choice right now. Right. You're avoiding yeah. having to commit to something. And instead you're being crazy and unexpected. 
And it just pisses me off. <laughs> you definitely have to earn that a little bit. You, know? you do. Yeah. But then you'll see other performers do that exact same move. And it's like hilarious. And you're like, well, why? It's exactly the same move, but I'm delighted by it. And I think it has everything to do with the attitude of that performer. Yeah. It, it, they're not trying to be right. wild yeah. and spontaneous. They're just. Like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And they're also probably like agile. So maybe you're not worried. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could ever even reach that. I have a hard time getting through the window. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I hurt myself getting out of the window. Well, that, that wall is not the most secure <laughs> thing in the world. I, yeah. I would caution anybody yeah. against climbing that wall. <laughs> I feel like I've only seen a few people do it. I've seen a few people yeah. do it. I saw like a whole scene take place on top of that wall once. That, and that was actually like pretty cool. It's like two people climbed the wall and did a scene from backstage. Yeah. I was like, oh, it was cool. It was like watching a puppet show. But uh, it's scary. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, I probably won't. <laughs> yeah, smart. I don't want to hurt myself. Smart. I always tend to hurt myself. So. Have you been injured on stage? Not badly, but I was actually talking about with this with some late. We, I did the We Might Just Kiss show on Monday. Yeah, very funny. Uh, thank you. That was, oh, that's a, one of the best shows. Yeah. It's so fun. And who was I? Oh, um, uh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> so I, I, don't know if you guys, I don't think you guys knew, yeah. but the podcast knows, uh, <laughs> the podcast world knows now. Nice. Um, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm 15 weeks. Hey, all right. Yeah. Thank you. Congrats. That's thank great. you. Um, so I ended up telling all of, <laughs> we might just kiss during like a stretch and share. And then we were talking afterwards about injuring because um, I didn't tell my Ariana Grande for, you know, like until you're supposed to, like 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, but my husband was like, you really need to tell them because like, what if someone just like throws you or like hurts you? And I was like, well, I don't think they will. And then I did a show and my husband was in the audience and I immediately had my character character in the beginning i'm like i fall all the time I'm like, why did I do that? and then usually i don't mind like I, I don't mind falling or you know i've had to do i did a, a show in college uh, picasso the ponders you i had to fall every night like faint mm-hmm. totally fine with that um but you know when you're pregnant it's a little different right so i didn't i didn't really make myself fall but at the end i was like oh we're on a mountain and i really the end of the scene should be me falling off this mountain. But my fall was so pathetic. I was just, I just like, like, like sat on the floor and then like fell out <laughs> because I didn't want to really sure. hurt myself. Yeah. Um, and then there was another girl there, Jess, who said that she did a scene in rehearsal and she like tore a muscle and like people have said they've done a bunch of other stuff. And, and I was like, well, it's be careful. It. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. Though, like, do, defining yourself as the character who falls and then your big dramatic fall is, like, a really, like, slow, silly, drawn-out thing. Can, funny, right? Can hilarious. Yeah, Nick said it was funnier. That's my husband. Nick said it was funnier. My bad fall versus me, even just, like, me falling. Yeah. Which is how weird I felt. Yeah. That's, yeah. I could see where that would be super yeah. funny. But I've, like, hurt my, I've, like, stubbed my vagina. <laughs> Um, it shows like we used to have rehearsal cubes and I've totally oh, yeah. like ran into it and I always never hurt myself too badly where I needed like an ambulance to come or anything. But, I yeah. have never heard that phrase before in my life. Stub my, my vagina or stubbed a vagina. Yeah. I don't know if that's the real thing, but that sounds just horrible. <laughs> it hurt. I'm yeah. not gonna lie, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I obviously <laughs> could still have children. Here, tell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Use relief. Oh my God. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they could have, you could walk into stuff and it just pokes your vagina. How many, I probably spent vagina more times on this podcast now than anyone combined. Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> and you've said vagina more times in the last 15 seconds than in the entire <laughs> other hour and 10 minutes, which is nice. We should add it in to the beginning. We we can bleep out. We can add vaginas into this, right? We can do whatever we want. We have the technology. <laughs> On that note, Dee Dee, I think it's time for uh, a little bit of improvisation. We're going to do, we're going to okay. have you improvise a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but this has become a thing we do this season. What we have here is a jar of pickles. And for 60 seconds, I'm going to give you a situation, a very serious situation. And for 60 seconds, you're going to improvise opposite this jar of pickles as if this is your scene part. Okay. It's basically like a monologue, but you know, you can pretend that the jar is talking to you. Here's the rule of the scene, Dee Dee. The rule is that if you address the jar of pickles by its proper name, you call it jar of pickles for comic effect. Okay. Um, so that's so the, don't I, name it. That's the, yeah, don't name it like Rick. <laughs> It'll be like jar of pickles. Okay. That's it. Uh, do we have a suggestion of a very serious scene? Do we run out of Abby's serious scenes? All right, listen, <laughs> I'm going to say this here for those of you listening. I save this until the end of the podcast. This is the mistake I've made. I, I, I figured this out. I don't give this information until after the, after the goodbyes on the podcast. Most people probably turn it off by time. So nobody's heard this. We are open to take suggestions for scenarios for very serious scenes. So far, the only person who's given us those suggestions is Abby Russell. <laughs> she's given us a bunch, and we're very grateful for it, and she's done a great job Yay, with Abby. it. But if you want to hear your name, shout it out here on the Magnet Podcast. And this is, I'm not going to lie, it's a big podcast, okay? Yeah. Dozens of people listen to this podcast, maybe in the yeah. hundreds. Audrey, Heather. Audrey, Heather. <laughs> Mike <got>, Williams. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. If you have a toothache late at night, you're yeah. probably listening to this podcast right now. You want to hear your name shouted out. Hit us up on Twitter and give us a suggestion for a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles. Uh, 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 and we will use your suggestion provided that it's not a grotesque or offensive, but otherwise <laughs> we will use it. Okay. So Dee, here's your situation then okay. for this uh, uh, jar of, of pickles then. Uh, uh, um, and I'm going to wing this one. I didn't come up with one beforehand, so here it goes. This jar of pickles is your sister. Okay. This scene is you telling your sister face-to-face that she's no longer welcome in your home on Christmas. Oh, jar of pickles, I didn't think you would uh, come on Christmas. Christmas. Um, I really think it's best if you go. go. No, don't, no, don't touch me. Um, I just, you know, it's just been really hard because you, you don't listen to me. You don't, do you know? Okay. Okay. You, you keep that hug to yourself. (laughs) You keep that hug to yourself. You're not, you're not, you're not allowed here. No, I don't. You gave me a present. What's I take your present back jar of pickles. Um, no. Oh, it's that's the it's a Harry Potter book. Which <laughs> Harry Potter book? You got me only one. There's like eight books. It's not even the new one. You got me Order of Phoenix. Get out! Order of Phoenix is the worst Harry Potter book. What happens in it? Harry's just an asshole. Pickles. I just 
you're, I, yeah, I threw the, yeah, I'm ripping the pages out of the book, <laughs> I'm ripping them and throwing them. And then oh, I'm going to eat one. <laughs> it's hard to swallow. Yeah. And the book's hard to swallow too. because Someone needed to edit. I'm not really sure why JK Rowling can all of a sudden write as many words as she wants without any editing. Okay. All right. All right. George Pickle. Jar jar of pickles. Sorry. I'm just calling you George of Pickles. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very serious scene with a jar of pickles with Edie Tabak. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think this was our best very serious scene yet. Oh, thank you. It's because Order of the Phoenix sucks. <laughs> is that true? Is that the worst of the books? I, for me, I don't like it. Okay. Harry's um, a jerk the whole time. Yeah. And Ron, too. Really? Yeah. Do you no. not read Harry Potter? I've never Potter? read a Harry Potter book. Well, when you, you, I mean, you have to read it because it's important information or Phoenix, but yeah. I've never wanted to read, read it. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. It, it. One of those, okay. yeah, it moves the story along. I'll tell you what, yeah. Rick Andrews is all in my case right now to read the Harry Potter books. And a Chase, too. They both are. I mean, they're enjoyable. Yeah. You know, they get a little dark. They get yeah. a little dark. Fine with dark. Yeah. And then when the Cursed Child comes from London to do the play in New York, yeah. you can go enjoy it. Okay. Uh, Maybe. That's a big maybe. I'll tell you, Didi, a few things I liked about that scene, but maybe my favorite thing about that scene was that it didn't begin with the sister having already done an outrageous thing and you're kicking her out. Begin with her showing up for Christmas and then very, very bold move on your part to tell her she's not welcome at the door. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I have two sisters, so I know how to, I know how sisters Play it down. Sweet. Uh, Anything you want to plug? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on a team called Ariana Grande. We perform Thursdays at nine o'clock with the wrath. Um, and that's about it. (laughs) I have a Twitter at Deister that I don't use that much. Check it out. But if you're wondering if the lead singer spin doctors follows me, he does. So (laughs) that's true. That's a true fact. Sweet. (laughs) What's the lead singer of spin doctors name? Don't know. Sweet. (laughs) I don't Google. Sweet. Nice. Bad. <laughs> no, no, yeah. He may be listening to this now, assuming he's had a bad toothache in the middle of the night. Well, cool. All right. Uh, rock and roll. Dee, thanks. Thanks, thanks for, for talking. Me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Super fun. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Please check Dee, Dee out along with Ariana Grande Thursdays at nine at the Magnet. Check the website for more information about that stuff. Hey, folks, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. I'd like to give a couple of other thank yous. First off, to Evan Ford Barden, our Yay. producer, our engineer. I'm going to go ahead and say it, our friend. To our executive producer, Ed Herbstman, uh, to all of you good, kind, fine people for listening to the show, please give us a positive shout-out on iTunes or whatever. Please tweet us with a suggestion for a scene or whatever. We love you. You're great. Uh, we're recording this right smack dab <laughs> in the middle of the holidays. So even though when you listen to it, it won't be the holidays anymore, keep a little bit of that holiday spirit in your heart. You know, Carry it forward and uh, uh, have a great time, et cetera. Thanks, everyone. Happy 2017. Happy 2017. (laughs) He was hoping for a good one. Thanks, Dee Dee. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.